Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As many of us know, I was a college religion professor for more than 30 years here in Atlanta at Emory University. And while retired, I still care about students and young people. I still think about them often, how I would say this or that if I were standing in front of a classroom yet again. As one slang expression puts it, I love me some college students. And as a priest and pastor in this current period, I'm particularly eager to show my care when students are assailed by so many social forces of change and discouragement. In a few minutes, I want to return to one of the issues that most concerns me for the future of our youth. But first, let me share with you a related example of my efforts, an example of how I tried in my religion classes to lighten things up with humor and at the same time create teachable moments about religion and spirituality. Over the years, I collected a few religion jokes to share in class. As I said, they had a dual purpose. First, to lighten the mood by giving us all a, a chance to laugh with amusement and provide a little entertainment. But I also wanted to leverage laughter to create learning and insight about our subject matter. And now here today, I'd like to do something similar. Here on this first Sunday after Christmas, and at the end of our year 2023. True to my calling, of course, I'm going to ask you to play the role I would ask of my students to think with me about the implications of this joke for our subject matter here today, the subject matter of our scripture readings on this occasion in our church year. The joke is popular, by the way, so you may well have heard it told before, maybe told even by me. It's sometimes called the guy on a bridge. It's about a man who was so depressed that he was about to end his life by jumping off a bridge. The joke goes like this. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too, 
Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> right. That's the joke. It will interest you to know that it's also been called the best God joke ever and the funniest religion joke of all time. And that brings me to my assignment for you today. As your self-appointed college professor for today, I ask you to think with me about why that little story would be called the best God joke ever or the funniest religion joke of all time. What is it about religion that makes a joke like that ring true? Or what is it about human nature and the human predicament that makes us laugh when we hear something like that? You know, they say with humor you're either laughing at someone or you're laughing with someone. I suggest we were all laughing with one another about what that says about human nature. What's so true to our universal nature as human beings about that ridiculous set of questions and answers, that series of Q&A, followed by that outrageous ending? Seriously, I would be interested to hear your responses to my assignment in the days ahead. Just come up to me and tell me what, what insight you think that, ha that gives into human nature or the nature of religion. But for now, here's my own response, and I include in it how the joke connects to today's scripture readings and also connects to my care and concern for our youth in the present period. I offer you my shortest possible response. I'd say that joke is a perfect illustration of the truth that the last temptation of the righteous is self-righteousness. The last temptation of the righteous is self-righteousness. Again, you may have other insights about what makes the joke so insightful. One friend of mine was struck by how much the two characters have in common, and yet the narrator still finds a way to turn commonality into difference and conflict. And that's true to human nature, isn't it? But I'm partial to my moral of the story, the last temptation of the righteous is self-righteousness, which I'll get back to in a moment. But first, here's the context and connection to today's scriptures. Here we are, church family and friends of Christ, gathered together on this first Sunday after Christmas. Our assigned scripture readings are celebrating not only the birth of the Christ child, but also our own righteousness, our righteous status as Christian, as Christian children of God. For our gospel reading says that to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, 
he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Pretty high calling, pretty awesome claims we're making about our identity, aren't they? And not only the gospel reading declares that Christmas good news about our religious status as children of God, also the epistle reading hammers home this point, as the Apostle Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, referring to Jesus' incarnation as the Christ child, when the fullness of time had come, God sent God's Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of God's Son into our hearts, crying, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. I want to notice right away the emphasis in those verses about the emphasis about people who were first born under the law, but who were then redeemed, redeemed so that they were no longer slaves under the law, but children and heirs through God. And if you want to get a feeling for what those verses might have meant when the Apostle Paul first wrote them, I propose that we consider how our college students are reacting to the war news out of Israel and Gaza at the end of this year. Surely you've heard how our college campuses have been impacted by the war news out of Israel and Gaza these past weeks. The level of intense feeling by both Jewish and Gentile students on our campuses is painful but instructive. Why is the intensity so high? Because our youth have been raised and educated to rely on the closest parallel that we have in the modern period to a set of laws comparable to the laws of the Hebrew Bible, the laws of Moses. The closest parallel we have is our United Nations Charter and its Universal Declaration of human rights. That's right, I suggest the closest purchase we have on the impact of law in the lives of our young people today is that universal declaration of human rights, that milestone document in the history of humanity, framed by representatives from all over the world, from different legal and cultural backgrounds, ratified by the United Nations General Assembly in Paris on December 10th in 1948, providing a common standard of achievement for all peoples and all nations, setting out for the first time fundamental human rights to be universally pro protected, translated into over 500 languages, widely recognized as having inspired and paved the way for the adoption of more than 70 human rights treatises, applied across the world. One of the key areas in which the UN supports human rights is by providing accountability 
for serious violations of, that, of those humanitarian laws, serious human rights violations, and addressing such atrocities through the rule of law is designed to strengthen peace and security and development around the world. In the declaration of the high-level meeting of the rule of law, member states reaffirmed a universal commitment to ensuring that impunity is not tolerated for the worst human rights violations, violations like genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity. The rule of law is essential in addressing such atrocities which would otherwise undermine peace and security and hamper development around the world. So when I consider how our youth have learned ethics and justice and the rule of law under the influence of these principles and precepts, our most recent generations of young people having gone to school under the umbrella of those principles, I can easily appreciate why today's campus protests and conflicts are so intense, as if our students are saying, what? Really? But we thought, we thought that you espoused, that we espoused something different in the world. But when I'm instructed by today's scriptures, I see an even deeper level of influence and persuasion, a spiritual level, a spiritual depth. Considering, for example, our epistle reading for today that calls all people beyond righteousness based on law and morality, and be, indeed beyond self-righteousness based on law and morality. As the reading puts it, before Christ came, people were imprisoned and guarded under law, such laws serving as our disciplinarian. And then there are further verses omitted from our assigned reading today, but immediately following, in which the apostle talks about what it would be like to live in a beloved community. For in Christ Jesus, St. Paul goes on to say, in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, where there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And what is the promise? The promise to Abraham in the Hebrew Bible was that through his offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And we Christians believe and affirm that this promise is fulfilled in the birth and life of the Christ child. As we read today again, when the fullness of time had come, God sent God's Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem those under law. But for people who are not Christian, this prophetic promise also has merit. For people of all faith traditions, Indeed, people of no faith but secular humanism or ethical humanists, people who espouse secular ethics, for them too it can be true that Jesus Christ is a gift to humanity by proclaiming a righteousness not based only on law or the rule of law, but based on a love ethic, 
After the advent of Christ and his universal love ethic, we are all challenged to imagine new spiritualities in the world, new forms of justice and the rule of law, based on redemption, redeeming those under law. Regardless of or inclusive of all our diversity, how can we all move forward even when violations of human rights and the rule of law occur? What can happen after? That's the moral challenge facing our youth on college campuses today. Imbued as many of us are with the highest principles of our time, our youth, like the rest of us, they are just as much at risk as the rest of us for incurring the dark side of righteousness, runaway self-righteousness based on moral indignation and outrage. Yes, it can feel like true righteousness, but it can lead down a slippery slope to what has been called becoming what we hate. I've called it the last temptation of the righteous being self-righteous. There's a moral struggle here and indeed an agony, a pathos that we're seeing in our youth today it shows how much we are all at risk, all of us in jeopardy of succumbing to the dark side of righteousness. And yet some of us here have lived long enough across the decades or studied long enough the history of our species to be aware that religious traditions and the most humanitarian aspirations can undermine their highest ideals by becoming what we hate. Isn't that the moral of the news out of Israel and Gaza this year? And who will get the message of being redeemed from all that, get the message out to our young people and to the rest of us in this upcoming new year? Who can so intervene that they and we do not become mirror images of our own failures and excesses, our failing to live out our higher calling to embody something more transcendent, more redemptive than the same cycles of blame and retribution that prevail across our histories. That's the spiritual challenge of our time, and it confronts not only Jews and Gentiles, Christians and other religious folk, but all of us who aspire to right action in the world today. Yes, we're all called to create such a beloved community. And in this epiphany season, I invite us to reaffirm the promise made to Abraham for the blessing of all peoples. May that promise be fulfilled for the descendants of all the Semitic, all the Semitic peoples in the Holy Land today. Indeed, may we all see the fulfillment of that prophecy found in our Old Testament reading appointed for today. It's omitted in our service leaflet, but it's a prophecy that says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for God has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch.
The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. But here today, until that day dawns for our youth and for ourselves, let us continue to invoke the blessing of the angels, the angels who attended the birth of the Christ child. Let us persist in proclaiming with the hosts of heaven, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward all people. Amen.